Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. This episode is brought to you by the Everyday App. Technically, this is an ad, but the Everyday app has honestly been super helpful for me, and I wouldn't partner with a company if I didn't genuinely believe in the product. So, what does the app do? It basically helps you track your habits so that you can see your progress over time. There's a common business saying, what gets measured gets managed. Like I said, it usually applies to businesses, keeping track of things like their sales and customer satisfaction, but I think it's just as relevant for personal goals too. It sounds like a simple concept for an app, but I've personally found it to be super effective in helping create new habits. The app lets you add whatever habits you're currently working on building. For me right now, some of those include reviewing my to-do list each day uh, so that I stay on top of the things I want to get done. Another one is going to the gym, and another one is limiting my time on Twitter to five minutes a day. The app lets you add three habits for free, so you can see if you find it helpful. If you soon realize you want to track more than three habits, like I eventually did, the paid version lets you track unlimited habits and has other cool features, and it's pretty good value in my opinion. There's a link in the episode description that gets you 10% off. All right, let's jump into today's conversation. All right, all right, give it to me. Who's the who's the best Dem? You like him over Bernie? I don't know. Who do you? Who do you think is the best? Uh, I have I have no idea. Uh, I feel like I feel like Biden's a safer pick than Bernie. I'm with you there. I mean, I'm anti-Bernie. You know, to the death of me. Like I'm just I can't get on board with his policies at all. And so Biden, to me, even though he seems like he way past his prime, I think he's definitely the more moderate choice. And I do consider myself moderate. I just think in the world we live in today, I would not be considered moderate for some odd reason, and I think that's just a function of the fact. Well, I was talking about Neil about this. I feel like I'm like kind of in the middle. Neil feels like he's in the middle, too. Yeah, I think like Neil is Okay. Would you agree with that? No, I don't. I don't pick sides. <laughs> no, but you do generally believe in a lot of the. You, you you see the merit of some of these ideas, where like I, a lot of them I just don't see at all. See at all. Like okay, let's take an example, right? Um, reparations. Do you believe that reparations is a good policy? What do you mean by reparations? Yeah. 
is this like is this on the lens so i don't know that much about about this topic i've thought more about like affirmative action and that kind of thing would you say it's similar like people who well affirmative action i guess it's more like an in-kind type compensation right um whereas this would be straight up monetary compensation um so do you do you generally agree with that idea? But but the ideas are similar in that it's it's like favoring a group based on their based on their past struggles or injustices against them in the past, right? As a group, yes, but it's based yeah, exactly. So like my belief is that like if you if you came from a situation where you didn't have the same opportunities it's going to be more difficult to to get to the same spot as someone who had who came from like a wealthier family with better education and stuff like that. Does that make sense? Sure, but I, I again, like in this case. So yeah, let me let me circle back to that in a minute. But in this case, they would literally cut a check to African Americans. Um, for slavery. So I'm just saying as a practical matter, do you support that? Right? Like I don't, I'm completely against it. And I, I can expand on that in a minute, but like, I just want to see what your first gut instinct is. Um, like, I'd have to think about it more to be honest. Cause I haven't, I haven't thought about it enough, but yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, it kind of died away recently, but there was some fervor around it a couple months ago. Not a couple months, maybe three, four months ago, right? And this was kind of one of the litmus tests for whether or not you could be a good presidential candidate. And I guess then I'll, I'll speak on why I think it's a terrible idea. Okay. So, number one, in terms of implementation, right? Let's talk about just implementation. Let's say that we agree on principle and that we think this is a fantastic idea. How would you implement this? How would you figure out who is eligible, who is not? If someone's one-fourth African-American, are they eligible? To what degree can you attribute their success or lack of to them having some distant ancestor that was a slave? Right? Right. So that's number one. How do you implement that? Number two, I think it's morally atrocious because you are using current funds generated from current taxpayers to pay, again, other current taxpayers or other citizens who really didn't have to go through a slavery, right? So I would say, am I guilty? Like, I pay taxes in the United States. Am I guilty of having slaves or my parents or my grandparents? No. That's just a fact. In fact, we were, my ancestors were victimized uh, in many of the similar ways by the British, right? Maybe not to that extent, but you can make a case in that direction. But, like, why should I have to pay, right? Why should Asian Americans have to pay, which were kept in internment camps, right? Like, why should um, Jewish people have to pay? So well, you raise all these kinds but, of moral questions. But if you, 
you live you live in the U.S. and like if the country you live in is responsible for these wrongdoings in the past, even if you weren't around during that time, the country that you live in and kind of support and choose to live in, they did make a mistake in the past. So, like, yeah, do you see what I'm saying? Who is they, right? Those people no longer represent what the United States is today. And moreover, the people that I would be paying suffered no such struggle. So fundamentally, it doesn't make sense. And I think you can make a case for other people who are minorities if we're going down this victimhood route. You can make a case against the United States as well for being victimized. So, again, I think it's a slippery slope. I don't personally think it makes any sense at all. And there's many more productive ways that you could theoretically make a more even playing field if you believe that it's an uneven one. Right. I'm surprised. I'm surprised this is a kind of core issue because honestly, I've never, I, I haven't really heard it come up as being one of the core kind of issues. Yeah. So I just quickly did a search before we got on the call just because, you know, I'm not super familiar with all the candidates. You know, there are like a hundred million of them this time around. Yeah. So I wanted to be kind of like, I just did a quick search, like, what are the policy positions of all these different Democrats? I know the major ones, but I think it's useful to have something up like this. And, like, one of the key categories categories is uh, reparations, right? So that's one of them. I think that one has kind of proceeded into the background, but it's still kind of there. Now, I think one that is, you see this all the time, is the wealth tax. So how do you feel about that one? What's, is, what's the wealth tax? It's complicated. Uh, is to you is it very different than like a like a high marginal income tax rate? Yeah, and for a variety of reasons. So to me, why I fundamentally oppose it is because first of all, that money that you would be taxing, right? Just again, I'm going to take it in two ways, right? Like kind of the ideological slash ethical slash moral view of it, right? So just the theoretical view of it, and then also kind of the implementation aspect of it. So starting off with, I guess, the moral part of it, I think it doesn't make a whole lot of sense from that that viewpoint because that wealth has already been taxed, right? It's not like wealth magically appears from somewhere. That wealth had to be taxed and it is accumulating, yes, but those capital gains in most cases also are taxed. So when you when you tax wealth every year, what you end up doing 
that dollar, it just keeps getting taxed and taxed and taxed and taxed. So that to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense if we're going to have an income tax as well. And just as, yeah, just if you're going to have an income tax as well. Number two, from the implementation point of view, like, I think the general public has this idea that when, like, Jeff Bezos or somebody has $100 billion or whatever number their net worth is, that that's cash in the bank, right? And they confuse the idea with the net worth with liquidated earnings per year. And so what you start getting is a lot of volatility in the markets because constantly people would have to sell off their assets to have enough liquidity to pay that tax. That creates a very unstable environment for investors as well as the general public. Eventually, they'll come downstream, um, you know, to Main Street, right? You create a lot of volatility in the market. Uh, it's just a very bad idea. And then beyond that, there are also a lot of, like, how do you value something, right? Like, let's take this to the extreme. Like, there's a rich person, right? If they have, I don't know, some Van Gogh art. They have some Picasso art. How do you value that every year and then also pay a tax on that? It would be next to impossible to import something like this. So, so why is I it, think it's an all. Mm-hmm. Why is it being proposed as, like, instead of just increasing the, like, tax rate for high well, income? Well, first of all, it's being proposed in addition to this. And the plain and simple answer is that, again, people confuse the idea of wealth with salary or whatever, income, liquid income, and the politicians know this, right? Like Elizabeth Warren is the one who proposes, she knows this, she's a smart woman, but she knows that people our age who are crazy leftists these days, they don't really understand the difference between the two. Like they just don't, the average public generally doesn't understand the difference between the two, and they confuse the two, and it's mind-blowing to me that on the debate stage, none of the moderates, ever ask her, like, dude, you are a very smart person. Don't you know the difference between a net worth and salary? And she would completely get flustered, right? It's don't ask her that. But it's just mind-blowing that this stuff is even allowed because we kind of live in a post-fact world at this point. So is the, of the remaining candidates, is it really just, like, Bernie, Joe? I think that this one is Bernie and Joe, right? And from what I've seen, have you looked at like Nate Silver's five thirty eight predictions? Do you, are you familiar with his website? I know Nate Silver, but I haven't been on his website. Let me check it out. Five thirty eight Nate Silver. Yeah, I was looking. I was looking just before this, and it said Joe Biden has. He's like the world renowned pollster, right? So he's. Yeah, so it it shows that Joe Biden has a one in three chance of winning, and I think Bernie's. A one in ten or one in twelve, so it seems seems as though uh, Joe Biden's in the lead. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Okay, so I'm on this website, and this is another thing that really gets to me about the Democratic fields. Speaking of Senator Warren, people actually think that she didn't get the nomination because she's a woman, and that is just absurd on its face. Absurd. Okay, like that is just not true. The reason why she didn't get the nomination is because she's not a genuine politician, just like the rest of them. And people 
live like her idea. Like, can we get past this idea in our society that everything has to be about discrimination and racism and, like, sexism and just, can we get past that? Like, I think people have forgotten that, that Hillary Clinton got the nomination in the prior cycle, and not just that, she got the popular vote. Seem to have selective uh, memory loss when it comes to these issues. It's just absurd. I think, yeah, no, it's a fair point. I think it's just that, with the exception of Hillary Clinton, there haven't been very many like female candidates. And yeah, but like, why? Why does everything have to be about race or gender? sexual orientation. The irony of this whole thing is that the democratic field prides itself on being all about acceptance and, you know, anti-racism, this and that, but they end up grouping everything into those categories and making decisions on the basis of those categories. And it's just patently absurd that we should be considering someone's gender or ethnicity or race or sexual orientation when we're considering if someone needs to be nominated. No, it has to be on the basis of their ideas. No, I agree. I, like, I, yeah. You want the I best candidate. If it's a woman or a man, if you're gay, you're straight, you're transgender, you're Chinese, no, you're I, I know, I yeah. know, but the problem is, like, if five or ten election cycles from now, in 20 or 40 years, if all of the presidents have been male then maybe there's a systemic issue with, I don't know. But on the basis of what? On the basis of what? So I would say to that, like, look, if you show me some facts that prove that, I'm more than happy to change my viewpoint. But I know for me, as an individual, I truly, and I think this is true for most people our age, if not most people in society these days, I literally do not care about any of that stuff. Like, I literally will just look at your idea. And uh, proof in point, a lot of men I know like Amy Klobuchar. I like Amy Klobuchar. Do you know Amy Klobuchar? Yeah, I, I, like her I yeah. really like her. But, but then why is it like, why is no one saying anything about that? I, I loved Amy Klobuchar. I would have 100% voted for her. It's just that I don't like Senator Warren. It, it's because she's disingenuous. She's you know, had terrible ideas, and she's extremely cynical. You know, she's a very smart woman. I'm not going to take that away from her. But, you know, she is not a good candidate, period. So I'm... I liked Amy Klobuchar. A lot of men liked Amy Klobuchar. A lot of women liked Amy Klobuchar. She just didn't make it. So why in that case is it not about her being a woman, but when it comes to Elizabeth Warren, it is all of a sudden. So, like, I also, when I watched the first, uh, like, Democratic debate or whatever, I really liked Amy Klobuchar, too. That was the first time I came across her. And I'm, I'm with you. I also i am not a huge fan of Elizabeth Warren. But I think, like, I think I've read that there's, there's behavioral science and stuff showing that, for instance, if you're a male, if you're a male or a female or whatever, if you're, this is different than the election, but for hiring, for instance you're more likely to unconsciously like someone who's similar to you, right? 
so even if even if you really don't want to be sexist or racist or whatever, you're just going to have a predisposition to to relate most and to find the candidate who's most like you to to be like to seem most qualified. Does that make sense? No, and I'm with you and I I believe that's true. But I think that what you see in these polls, for instance, um, unconscious bias, right? So you saw Starbucks deal with this. You remember that incident where some some guys came and sat in the store and whatever, they didn't they kicked them out or called the police, something about that and and the um, the implication of that whole incident was that somehow this manager was biased because they were black. Okay? So they did they closed the stores down and did all this training about unconscious bias because it's it's not exactly what you're talking about, but it's kind of in line with that, right? It's like you have all these thoughts in the background that you don't really recognize consciously but affect your decisions, right? In the same way that you're saying that if you see someone across from you that is very similar to you, has the same likes, dislikes, and, you know, if you're a man, that tends to be a man. If it's a woman, it tends to be a woman. Um, then you will tend to make decisions that reflect that bias, right? But the thing is that what you think in your mind is not necessarily reflected in your actions. And take a number of examples throughout your day. You might be thinking something or some thought may come to your mind about an individual, but then you don't act on that, right? You don't always act on um, on that uh, feeling, initial thought, right? So the idea is kind of absurd, and even with unconscious bias, they haven't been able to substantiate whether or not any sort of training will counteract that, or that, or even that that thinking ultimately results in discriminatory action. So what I guess I'm getting to the point that a lot of this stuff is just made up. And it's just, we live in such a prosperous society. We live in such a good time. Like, this is the best time to be alive, okay? The, the world is a fantastic place, and we're super lucky to live in either Canada or the United States, right? But it's almost like, it's almost like when your body is attacking itself, right? We, we just don't have huge problems like they did hundreds of years ago, so we're finding these stupid problems that are not real and just tearing our society apart with them. So, so I mean, like, I don't, I don't agree that we should call them stupid problems. I think they're real problems. Everything you said is valid about the world being better than it was 50 years ago, it's the best time in history to be alive for most people. But that doesn't mean there aren't still problems and there aren't, like, we can still, like, 50 years from now, hopefully the world is going to be way better than it is today, right? Yeah, so sorry. I shouldn't have said stupid. I meant stupid in the context of, like, this polarization. So, yes, there are still definitely problems. I think the overthinking that people do regarding issues like this is quite stupid when it comes to like a candidate not being elected just because they're not like a good candidate as opposed to people thinking that it's because of their gender when there's no evidence really to suggest that right i mean for god's sake hillary clinton was given the nomination 
and won the popular vote. So are people suggesting that the world somehow within a span of four years became more sectioned? No, I think I think at least for me, like it's it's hard when you look at individual cases because it's a sample size of like one. But when you look on aggregate, uh, I think that's when it becomes more telling. Like I said, if we see that over the next 40 years, all 10 terms of U.S. presidents are male, we'll look back and say, isn't there a problem here? Like it could be just coincidence. It could be just coincidence to your point. I agree you want the best candidate to to win. So it, it could be a coincidence, but it's it seems unlikely to be a coincidence and more likely to be a systemic issue. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I guess. So then I'll take this up a notch and be like, okay, what areas of society, Western society, do women not have as many rights as So part of it is like if they're playing like if women are playing catch up because they've because they but, but, okay catch up maybe for our maybe for our parents I'm saying as the world is right now have you ever seen discrimination in the workplace against women or are you now beginning to see the opposite trend where you're doing where they're doing kind of this reverse discrimination and this is why I talk about the fact that we should not be looking and focusing on these categories so much. So what I'm trying to get at is, you and I went to the same university, right? Did you often see that the women had fewer advantages than males? About the same or less? Uh, or more, sorry. I mean, I didn't notice anything, but also we're a male perspective, right? So I feel like we got to take the we got to take the women's opinion here because they're the ones who are like, if they, I feel like generally speaking, and we might've talked about this in the past, but if a group is saying they feel discriminated against, like, I think you got to take their, their viewpoint very seriously because we just can't relate if we're not of that group. And to your question about at Queens, like I didn't see, no, I didn't see anything wrong, but for instance, at TELUS, all of the VPs are male. Uh, and it's a problem. Like like I said, uh, I just think, and it, it's not intentional, but I think a male is more likely to hire a male because they relate better. Like, for instance, I've had, like, I think literally everyone on this podcast that I've had on has been a male. And it's just because you relate, you relate you relate better. Like most of your friends tend to be more like your gender or like your ethnicity, right? Uh, I don't know. It just could be that the people you're closest with are male, right? Like it just, it's not that you're being discriminatory to the women in your life. You had your girlfriend on. I'm sure you'd love to have other people on. But the idea, yes. And okay, let me circle back to your prior point, which is that Okay, sure. Uh, there are definitely less women in in uh, leadership positions, but what is the solution to that? So by that I mean, do we want to have quotas at which point it's shown to actually harm the women and their reputation within the workplace, right? 
because they seem like the token women, even if they are truly qualified, which I'm sure they are. So I think, yes, there will be some sort of trickle effect and people have to be patient, but forcing these quotas will not do anything. Like I saw the crazy, craziest thing, right? I think Goldman Sachs now will not do any IPOs where the, I think either the board or the leadership team is more than 50% male or something, or majority male. Do you agree with those types of views? Like, I just think it's a complete backwards direction that we're going in when we're looking at that stuff. There are ways to encourage these types of things without making it all about that. And then, like, it, it's just it's just not a good idea from my point of view. I think my view is that either way, it's not an ideal solution. And that's why... I find it upsetting that these issues are so polarizing because I'm surprised that people have such uh, extreme views on e either side because I think there's a lot of merit to both sides of the argument. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. And what happens is because they take the strong stances, like a binary position on it, people get feel like they have to go, you know, to those sides even more, right? And then it's not acceptable to have a more nuanced view that incorporates maybe both sides, right? And, and that's not just with this issue, it's with all issues. And that's what like, I love about this particular show, for instance, along with some other podcasts that I listen to, is like we're attempting to bridge that gap, right? Like it's no longer okay to be in the middle of these issues where I think probably the right answer is to begin with, right? Nobody is going to be right on, either on the super conservative side or the super liberal side. Right. At least that's what I think. Yeah, I agree. Why do you think Why do you think it's not okay to be in the middle? Because I asked this exact question to Neil. I asked him, like, is it a cop-out to say you don't identify as either left or right wing? And he didn't think there was an issue with it. Yeah, but I think Generally, we're kind of in a bubble of moderate individuals, right? Um, but it, it is not okay to have an opinion on anything these days, right? Um, so to your question about why do I think it's not okay to be in the middle, think about any question that you, know, you debate with somebody. How uncomfortable do you feel sharing your true opinion in the public square? So I honestly, I honestly don't fear that. I know, but I've heard, I've heard you, I've heard Neil, I've heard a lot of friends say they're concerned about it, but I'm, I'm honestly not. Um, I don't know why. Like, let's yeah, take, let's um, take, let's but, take. But I think that's because, I think that's because your positions are typically more in line with that. I'm not saying all the way there, but they're more in line with those, that general area, right? What general area? Like more to the to the left than right. So, like, what's it? What's for an instance, what's it? Yeah. For instance, if I say that I don't support reparations, it's automatically that you're a racist. Even first of all, I'm Indian. I'm not racist at all. Of course, I. You know, there's no evidence to suggest that. Somehow, if you don't agree their way, especially on the left, somehow you're all of a sudden like a racist, bigot, or homophobe, or whatever other name they want to call you. Even if you have some explanations 
as to why you think that that's a reasonable policy. There's no evidence to suggest that you are any of those things, but you still get labeled that way. Right. Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't think people should be labeled that way. Yeah, and oftentimes these issues are very nuanced, right? They are. As we discussed before, the right answer is probably somewhere in the middle between the left and the right. And if nobody talks about these ideas, like how can you progress, how can society progress generally? Right? And that's why I think kind of you see, that's why you see such a undercover approval for Trump. Uh, and that's only going to become more so if on the Democratic side they don't introduce some moderation. Right. Do you think uh, someone said today that like Bernie is as bad as Trump, like he's just as extreme? Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, I don't agree with the idea that the president somehow defines the entire country. And I don't also agree with the idea that everybody who votes for an individual who you know, may not be the best person, it's suddenly just as bad as that person. They have their own reasons for doing so, right? And so, in my opinion, I think, I think Bernie is, is a danger to society. Like, the society as we know it, I think he, he hates capitalism. He, there's nothing that comes from his plans that, I really support outside of, and these are the high-level plans, by the way, so I don't want to set a blanket expectation here that I don't support anything. I do like the idea of universal health care, um, but I don't like other ideas. Like, I don't like um, some of the other ones that I've talked about uh, regarding, um, I'm blanking here right now, but with respect to Bernie, I don't really agree with all his ideas, including like paid everything, like paid college, paid everything. I just don't agree with so Not that, everything needs to be free. That's the model in like Scandinavian countries and some European countries, right? Yeah, but their taxes are outrageous as well. Okay. But what about and these these surveys or however they're conducting or whatever metrics they're using, they could be they could not be the right metrics, but at least from what I've seen in terms of countries that are considered the best countries to live in, in terms of happiest, uh, it seems to be, from what I've seen, like the Scandinavian countries with the highest tax rates. So, like, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, but those countries also are not as dynamic as the United States. Would you agree there? Like, they don't innovate at the rate the United States does. I agree. Their economy is not as robust. I so agree. There are trade-offs there. So if we're aiming for a world where everybody's just chilling, you know, status quo is cool, and that's not to undersell any of their companies. I'm sure they have some good companies, but everybody can agree that no economy is as dynamic as the United States, and the reason for that is that there's tremendous flexibility in the workforce, as well as the... Uh, broader economy as well, 
right? Part of that comes from the fact that not everything is free, that employers have rights in addition to employees, but there's more of a balance, okay? And I think, uh, like last week, I think we probably spoke about uh, something, and the issue of employee rights came up and how I would, would have a hard time justifying a purchase in Canada just because of that, not because I want to uh, make my employees work crazy hours and all that. No, it's just that a lot of the regulation that goes in place makes it harder for businesses to run, and, and the underlying assumption for that legislation is that employers will automatically try to take advantage of workers, which me as a former employer, I just don't think that that's the case. I had a very good relationship with my employees, and we took care of each other. And I think that's true for most of the country. I'm thinking. Um, yeah, like history has seemed to show that growth and innovation is at its best when in more of like a closer to pure capitalist society, right? Yeah, by the way, another another point which a lot of people don't consider is that Scandinavian countries have a large fund or public fund of cash based on their natural resources, right? And there's just no parallel in the United States unless we're talking about a public takeover of the shale or tech companies, which is not even a natural resource, but you get the point. Right? And that's what I was thinking of, by the way, when I blanked earlier with Bernie. He wants to break up all these companies and tax them at exorbitant rates. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, he thinks that workers should be on the board of companies. I believe that's his position. So does Elizabeth Warren. That's just crazy. They didn't incur any of the risk to start the, the company. Why should they be on the board? guide the company's direction doesn't make any sense so I feel I feel as though a lot of what we have a tendency to compare ourselves to others right sure. like humans have have the tendency to do that and I feel like maybe that's one of the reasons uh happiness it like reported happiness is better in scandinavian countries is because everyone's closer in terms of their income and everyone's on a closer playing field so like in the u.s even i guess what i'm getting at is even if growth and innovation is fueled by by like the capitalist model and even if even if the people at the very like lowest income level still have like a really good like quality of life relative to like the wealthiest people a hundred years ago, like for instance yeah. the the some of the poorest people in the states today and in the world generally are way better off than the richest people five hundred years ago, yeah. even a hundred years ago. But it's yeah. it's it's this relative. It's this. It's this comparison to what 
the highest income earners have and the wealthiest people have that I think is the driver of a lot of unhappiness. And so I'm wondering, yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree. 100%, right? Like, I just think of it in terms of something as simple as, like, a test, right? You know, like, when we were in high school or even in university, you would feel a lot better if you got a 50 and everybody else got a 40, right? Right. Or at least if everybody was in the same kind of general area about test versus... Uh, if you got a 50 and everyone else got an 80, right? Yeah. It's just that same sort of like human nature where you kind of want to be in the same general area as the rest of the pack or better. Um, and so I think everybody's guilty of that to some degree. But I don't know if the solution that is to just essentially steal money from people who have, in, for all intents and purposes, earned that money and then redistribute it in a way you see fit as the government. Like, I just, personally, that's not a model I believe in, and that's not a society I want to live in, because I just think that we should be incentivizing the creation of these kinds of things. And that if someone achieves that sort of thing, we should encourage people to aspire to be at that level and not hate them, which is partly why I hate these, these types of politics that automatically assumes that just because someone is wealthy, that they somehow stole from you, and that's why you aren't there, and you don't have a billion dollars, right? I just, I feel like a lot of what's being pushed on the Democratic side especially is a lot of that. And I, it's just fundamentally not true. It's just not true. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. My parents came here with nothing. And within their lifetimes, they made something. And then I was able to build off their work and then make something of myself. And hopefully my kids one day will be able to do the same thing, right? And so the idea that, you know, you're stuck in your position and that the world did this to you or society did this to you, in some cases that's true, but generally speaking, I think, especially in our countries like Canada and the United States, for the most part, you have the opportunity if you make the right choices and, you know, do all that stuff, that you will have the opportunity to move out of your income level, current income level, and make it up. Generally speaking, of course there are other cases, right? I'm not saying that people are poor because of their decisions. Absolutely not. But I am saying that this country... Um, and now I'm talking about the United States specifically, more than any other country, gives you plenty of opportunities to move up if you just, you know, put your head down and pursue that goal, right? It's not perfect, but it's as good as, you know, I've seen. So here's here's my kind of, the, pro- the problem in my mind is even even if you assume that people owe no success to themselves, and that people's outcomes are entirely a product of their environment and their like genetic disposition. Even if, let's say you assume that, that might suggest that you should distribute wealth completely evenly across everyone, right? Because no one, like if that's the case, then no one is more deserving than anyone else. It's just a product of their, of luck essentially. 
but the the problem is even if that is the case like we've seen that when you distri- when you distribute things evenly like innovation and growth stalls and everyone becomes worse off right yeah yeah so that's kind of the the dilemma in my mind because I don't know if we've talked about this. I did an episode with Neil on like free will, but I'm I'm of the opinion that we are very much the product of our environment. So, um, but I st- yeah, I still think the answer is obvious is not to distribute wealth completely evenly because I don't know. There's there's no hit, there's no track record of that working. Yeah, I mean this has been tried, and again goes back to what I was saying before about this being a product of our prosperity or society's prosperity is like people seem to forget that this was tried and resulted in millions, tens of millions of people dying, right? Communism. People seem to forget these things. Capitalism, on the other hand, it is not perfect. There are corner cases where it fails, but by and large, it is the best system that we have, and too often um, people dismiss the good for what they think is the perfect, right? They think that we should live in this utopia, and only if we did this, this, and this, you know, world hunger would be solved, we'd all be singing kumbaya, and that's just not reality, right? The reality is that this is probably the best way that we can reach where we want to go, um, you know, capitalism tends to drive uh, prosperity because it just creates more of the things people want at lower prices, generally speaking. And so I, I just think that, again, people seem to forget that this path has never been good for society. So here's a interesting question. Let's say... Let's say people in the U.S. Let's say even the poorest people in the U.S. are, like, from absolute terms, are better off than than anyone in Norway. But the people in Norway are happier for some reason, and maybe it has to do with maybe maybe we realize it's it's solely this this relative position thing that that I mentioned. Like, if that's the case, then what do you do? Like, in this, in this, let's say you have this dynamic where, like, one country is, their people seem to be happier, but they shouldn't be based on, you know, what they actually have and their quality of life. Do you see what I'm getting at or no? Yeah, I mean, you're comparing, you're comparing, like, uh, monetary, uh, like, the monetary aspect versus the more qualitative aspect of being happy, right? Um, so feeling of happiness versus just having maybe more dollars and cents in the bank. Is that correct? I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is I, I'm of the opinion, like, eventually, I guess we don't have a great mechanism for quantifying happiness today, but I think eventually we'll be able to get better at it, whether it's quantifying yeah. someone's serotonin levels or whatever it is. There will be there will be able to, we'll be able to scientifically say how happy someone is, but I'm guess what I'm getting at. Maybe a better example is, let's say let's say we knew for sure that the people who lived 500 years ago 
we're happier than people today? Like, that obviously shouldn't be the case given people are way better off in terms of, like, basic necessities and quality of life than 500 years ago. But my point being is, like, is that still a success if people are not as happy? Or, like, what what the hell is going on? I don't know. Yeah, just being honest, like I'm not really sure what that trade-off would be or even if they're mutually exclusive, you know? Uh, I will say that happiness is kind of self-contained in that if you grew up in a certain environment, you may not necessarily know that you're unhappy or you may not necessarily know to be unhappy, right? And I'll give you a simple example. Like my parents, grew up in India, right? And objectively speaking, it's just less developed. And so you have a lot of people, there's pollution, you know, the houses aren't as pretty around most of the country, etc. But they they would tell you that growing up they were extremely happy. They would also tell you they're happy now in Canada, extremely happy. And that when they go to India now, that they feel kind of uncomfortable, even though it has progressed quite a bit. So... I'm really not sure how to parse it um, or even how to separate those two competing effects. But I will say that as an ideological matter, I think humans feel overwhelmingly better about a situation where they feel like they're being treated fairly. Now, there's, generally speaking, if people feel like they're working for something and there's no guarantee that they will keep it, or get to keep it because the government will show up, you know, with their whatever tools that they have, right? Theoretically, or like uh, figuratively the gun of the government and ask them to fork over X dollars and give it to somebody else, they may not be happy. Conversely, someone who feels like they're trying everything they can to do really, really well, and they're not getting any money, but others are, and they're not more about striking the right balance but I think the focus should be on providing opportunity not really redistributing the fruits after the fact right okay but you believe in like you believe in in taxes and and some marginal tax right Take what you just said, the word optimize. Like optimize implies perfection kind of, and it's you're never going to you're never going to optimize it perfectly, right? Yeah, 
No, but I'd say, let's say we set up two companies, or two, yeah, two companies, right? One follows the government model. The other one follows the private sector model. Which one do you think is going to utilize the resources as effectively as possible? I, my guess would be the company modeled after private enterprise. And I can just give you one case in point, right? CPPIB. That is the government institution modeled after a private company. And it works fantastically. Contrast with that with what was there prior to that, which was just investing in municipal and provincial bonds. And you see the vast difference, right, in terms of optimizing for return. Maybe maybe we should do an episode in future because I feel like you'd have good takes on this on what types of services should be private versus public. I think I have it as one of yeah. the questions on the list. Yeah. Yeah, but what do you think? Do you agree with that like example just as an example? That's like a real world example that kind of made me rethink kind of like what these institutions should be structured. I'm still not clear, right? And let me flip the coin because I probably sound crazy right wing when I'm not at all crazy. I want to flip the coin on Medicare and uh, Medicaid and, you know, they, they say it's going to go bankrupt and there's some truth to that. What I'm just perplexed by is why doesn't the United States stand up an institutional entity modeled after TPPIB and invest those returns? Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand it. Everybody either talks about taxing people more or cutting people's benefits. Why don't we, you know, that would be a massive fund. It would probably be one of the biggest, if not the biggest in the world. And they could invest in the same way that CPPIB does. And CPPIB is at a point where they they pretty much need 3% or 4% a year to fund the liabilities they have. Right? So I've just been perplexed, and this goes back to our point about why can't people be somewhere down the middle? Why can't the solution be somewhere in the middle? Why do we have to cut people's benefits or just tax people more to fund more benefits? Why can't we come up with solutions like this? And this is why I'm so passionate about this, and I hope this comes through to the listeners. It's just because, like, I really think it's important that people start talking to each other, whether it's their neighbors, their coworkers. And, like, just stop automatically thinking the worst in their intention and think about, like, okay, does what they're saying make sense? How can I incorporate their ideas? Like, I would like to see us get to that kind of world again. Yeah. I, no, I like, I like that you say that because, honestly, we're all, we're all human. We all want to be happy. We all want our family to be happy. We all want our friends to be happy and we all have overlap in family and friends. So like we all want the same thing and I agree it's it's silly because people are fighting and hating each other and it sounds like yeah. so idealistic but like everyone wants the same thing in the end, right? Yeah, I think everybody agrees what the end goal is but we shouldn't be hating on somebody because they disagree on how to get there. And that's why, personally, just tying it back to the original intent of the conversation, 
I think, like, I was extremely happy to see that still the majority of the people, at least on the Democratic side, would like to see candidates like Joe. Um, as much as I'd like to have seen uh, Klobuchar, I still think Joe is a great choice. Uh, and he's he's most likely to take the country down that path, right? Like, he's more likely to have moderate position. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like where my head's at. I think Sanders would be extremely divisive. I think Warren would be extremely divisive. I think Trump is extremely divisive. Um, you know, I just think we need to get back to the middle, right? Kind of our Bidens, our Mitt Romneys. That flavor of politician is something I personally would prefer. Um, even our George Bushes, right? Like, these people were tilted in one direction a little bit, but not what we're seeing in today's politicians. Today, we're seeing something very different, very different. And I think everybody just needs to kind of come to their senses and, to your point, realize that, hey, we're all human, we want the same thing. Let's pick somebody who has a cool head, really thinks about the nuances of these policies and takes society down that path. Yeah, I agree, because... Isn't it isn't it in your best interest? Wouldn't you think as a candidate you would want to not be divisive? Because, like, if you make enemies, you're not going to be able to work with these people. Like, Bernie Sanders is going to have a hard time working with with private sector, right? Like, you don't want you want it to be a good relationship, no? Well, that's the problem, right? So, if Bernie got elected hypothetically. He would get nothing done. The bigger problem I see with him coming into power would be that he would get nothing done and people on his side of the aisle would continue to get more riled up and more angry. Similarly, you'd see an effect on the right side of the aisle where, I guess, Trump supporters would be, or just people conservatives generally would be getting more riled up because Bernie would come out there saying, let's give this for free, this for free. You know, Jeff Bezos stealing from you, that kind of thing. And we just get two sides getting angrier and angrier, and nothing is changing, right? Like, all we get is more angry people versus a more moderate approach where you have some give and take, some compromise that leads to some real policy changes. And, you know, you feel like you're getting something, your neighbors feel like they're getting something, coworkers feel like they're getting something, right? Like, it feels more even-handed than these dramatic swings from the right to the left. It's just nauseating. Yeah. You get to vote, right? Yes, I do. Are you are you, are you comfortable saying who who you think you would vote for? I never know. Is it is it like a is it a thing where people are like uncomfortable saying who they who they vote, would vote for? You know, I think it is now, and that comes back to the fact that, like, you automatically get judged if you vote for a particular politician, right? Um, I mean, if if you if you say you're gonna if you say you would vote for Trump over Biden, I would ask what, like, I'd want to know why. Yeah. um, So i I don't I don't think that if let me put it this way: if Biden came, if, if Biden won the nomination. 
I would have a hard time understanding how to reconcile my personal interests with what feels like the right thing to do. Yeah. It would be a tough, tough thing. I'd probably just stay home. Uh, I know that doesn't do anything, but, uh, you know, I fundamentally think that Bernie is not a good, forget not a good candidate, I think he's a true threat to everything the United States has been, right? Um, and yes, Trump, Trump has his own flaws, but fundamentally, at least on the ground level right now, you don't really feel like much has changed outside of the occasional fear when you see somebody with a Trump hat, right? Make America great. Um, and, like, I just don't know. I think if, at this time, I mean, it just feels all too cynical. And all I know is that I'm super happy that Biden came through on Super Tuesday, he looked like he was going to be gone for a little bit there, and that we, we had an inevitable uh, Bernie nomination on the Democrat side. That was scary. Yeah, I agree. I I like someone more in the middle. Yeah, that's just always been my preference. Now, if you ask me if there was Biden versus Mitt Romney, I'd go with Mitt Romney, no doubt. What's the big difference in your mind? And then we'll wrap up, because I know it's we're at like an hour now. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, we passed all the time. Um, I think Mitt Romney is more aligned with my views. Uh, generally, there are some items, obviously, big ticket items that I don't necessarily agree with him on. But to me, he's more aligned with my beliefs. And I feel like as of late, Joe Biden is kind of, he's more moderate, but he's still kind of caving to the ultra-left, right? I don't know if you get that sense, but I do. Like, I definitely get that sense. He's backtracking on a lot of his record on, for instance, like the crime bills in the 90s, right? He's somehow apologizing for that when this was a very popular policy. And there is like, you know, it is what it is, right? And it did lead to a very steep drop in crime. So those types of things I don't like about uh, Joe Biden. But generally speaking, the good candidate in today's field of um, class here, right? Right. So. Cool. I, I, enjoyed the, I enjoyed this. Did you? <laughs> All right. Next time, yeah. next time we'll do what services should be uh, private versus public. If you're down, yeah, I'm down. I mean, uh, I don't know too too much. I'm not super in favor of all private. Let me be clear there. But yeah, I think that's a super interesting conversation because it's uh, another place where I don't think that there's necessarily a binary answer like people think. Right. Right. That, that'll probably be the outcome, but I think it'll be interesting maybe to go into like each of the different sectors and, and talk about it. 
Yeah, and I, I agree. I think that's super, super cool. I'll need to do some research prior to on some more examples, but yeah, the TPPIB one sticks out to me the most. I just think that's such an amazing model for a pension fund. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to look into it more. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in to Can I Ask You a Question? If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it. Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.